Can we take this garland away? I mean this garland, this harmonium. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so And could we plug this in? Welcome back to our discussion of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's meeting the Mayavadis. Um, okay, we have a translation here in Russian. Check. Okay. Yeah, check. And do we need any other translations? Okay. Braucht jemand deutsche Übersetzung? Otherwise, yeah, we have English speaking and a little bit of <coughs> Bengali. <laughs> Chaitanya, uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj, of course, wrote Chaitanya Charitamrita in Bengali language. And this is historically significant. Uh, the Goswamis of Vrindavan uh, were writing in Sanskrit. But who can read Sanskrit? And we may wonder, who were they writing for? <laughs> well, they were writing for the very <coughs> um, small number of <coughs> Sanskrit reading uh, pundits and <coughs> excuse me, learned learned scholars, uh, Vaishnava scholars. But they were they were writing for what they understood was an audience not of the immediate time but for all time and the language to write in for all time is Sanskrit but then why write in Bengali because the people in Bengal who are followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu or who consider themselves followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but may actually be having some strange philosophy, uh, they need to read Bengali. Of course, there would be learned uh, Sanskrit readers also in Bengal, <coughs> but uh, Krishnadas was commissioned by and devotees in Vrindavan to write in Bengali for um, establishing what are the teachings of the Goswamis, which means what are the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, to make clear what up until this time was um, very much a matter of memories and in many cases, imagination uh, of devotees. So in Bengal, <clears throat> by the time Krishna's Kaviraj was writing, which is, uh, he, he completes the Chaitanya Charitamrita in the year 1615. I believe that's the year that's mentioned at the very end. 
which means um, se- several decades after Krish- Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had disappeared. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu disappeared in 1533 or 34. It's generally accepted. So, uh, yeah, 70, 80, more than 80 years later, the Vaishnavas in Bengal are receiving, well, no, it would have been sometime after he wrote that they would receive uh, his writing. So, uh, therefore, Bengali, and therefore he's writing, uh, and one of the subjects he's writing about is what is actually Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's philosophy, what is his theology. And uh, there's very probably been, in those 80-year period or more, a good deal of mixing, matching, (laughs) um, putting, mixing in one's own ideas, adding things, uh, adjusting according to whatever one understands locally. So the Goswamis and their, the immediate next generation uh, in Vrindavan, they they know that there's a problem uh, as far as uh, the continuing the uh, the tradition that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has established. So therefore, there, Krishnadas is writing. And it's, um, it's clear that one particular subject Krishnadas is concerned about, which means the Rindavan Goswamis are concerned about, is what is what are people's understanding of Vedanta? And I, I say that this is their concern um, because Krishnadas writes about this particular episode that we're uh, reading now in Chapter 7, Adilila. He writes about it twice. He writes about it here in Adilila and he writes about it again in Madhyalila, at the end of Madhyalila. Uh, and in Madhyalila chapter 6, he writes about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's encounter with Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. Chronologically, the encounter with Sarvabhoma happens before his meeting with Prakashananda Sarasati and his followers in Varanasi. This happens. The Varanasi meeting is several years later, but Lord Chitan, uh, sorry, Krishnadas wants to talk about it already in Adi Lila chapter seven. Although the main subject, or because it's the main subject, you can say of chapter seven is uh, the Panchatattva and their um, their mission of plundering the storehouse of love of God. (laughs) Uh, And uh, 
in that discussion he wants to bring out what is this love of... He wants to make the point that this is not what Mayavadis will think. What will they think? They will think, chanting Hare Krishna, oh yes, that's very nice, nice thing you can do until you reach uh, knowledge of Brahman. And when you reach knowledge, when you realize Brahman, then no more need to chant Hare Krishna. So Krishna Das wants to say, don't think like that. And therefore he's putting this subject here. Okay, so a little review. Um, well, let's ask who, who, whom of you are now here who were not here yesterday for our discussion? Okay, some of you. Um, well, I can't go over everything, but I'd just uh, say that we started uh, with Adi Lila chapter 7 around verse 98. And we're basically just reading verse after verse. I've been pretty much skipping over Prabhupada's purports, uh, not because they're not important, but because I want to get some of the cohesive uh, ideas of the verses themselves. And uh, we, we wanted to set the scene, what is the situation in Varanasi, these sannyasis who um, are initially very um, not, they don't seem to be very nasty, they seem actually quite polite. Uh, they're certainly very polite with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as soon as they see him. Uh, his his uh, great effulgence and his humility and his charming speech. We remember we talked about his mishtavakya, his sweet speech. So all of that made them very open to listen. And then uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu begins to speak on Vedanta with verse one hundred and six. We got up to about one fourteen, I think. I wanted to read one thing from within a purport. Prabhupada quotes, but if I can find it, it's here somewhere. Uh, I mentioned that uh, Shankaracharya is, there we are, is sometimes called covered Buddhist. And this is specifically mentioned in the Padma Purana, which is quoted uh, in. Prabhupada's purport to verse 110. Um, it's three verses and they're spoken by um, Parvati. No, they're spoken by Krish, by Bing. They're spoken by Lord Shiva to Parvati. And I'll just read the translation. My dear wife, hear my explanations of how I have spread ignorance through Mayavada philosophy. This is Lord Shiva speaking to Parvati. Simply by hearing it, even an, ad, even an advanced scholar will fall down. In this philosophy, which is certainly very inauspicious for people in general, I have misrepresented the real meaning of the Vedas. 
and recommended that one give up all activities in order to achieve freedom from karma. In this Mayavada philosophy, I have described the Jivatma and Paramatma to be one and the same. So that's in a nutshell what is Mayavada philosophy. <laughs> one way of putting it. Uh, jiva, individual soul, Paramatma, or we can say Atma and Paramatma, one and the same. That's, though I, I might explain, the word Mayavada is uh, Vada. Vada means, in this context, doctrine. So there are all kinds of Vadas. And doctrines may be, um, there may be sub-doctrines within greater doctrines. Uh, and so, for example, there is uh, Satkaryavada. Satkaryavada is, uh, is a doctrine which Vaishnavas accept. You may not know it, but you are Satkaryavadins, followers of Satkaryavada. What is Satkaryavada, you may ask? Well, that's kind of another subject, but it basically means uh, the effect of anything is present in its cause. Example, a seed of a tree has within it, potentially, the tree. We can say, therefore, the tree exists in the seed. And of course, this gets um, expanded, elaborated, specifically with regard to the world or the universe, creation, the phenomenal world, as effect of the cause which is understood in Vedanta to be Brahman. Anyway, my point is just the word Vada means, uh, means doctrine. And Maya means usually translated as illusion, and in this context, that's the general sense of it. It can mean also, more broadly, power. Uh, it can also mean mercy. Uh, and and um, it can... Uh, what's the other? There are other meanings. So, Mayavada is a specific understanding about the nature of maya and the nature of this world. Uh, essentially, that all phenomena uh, is constituted of maya. Again, taking the meaning of the word maya as illusion. So, ultimately, uh, this is the I idea, According to Mayavada, ultimately, all form, all sorts of variety, all sort, all sense of individual beings, is ultimately an illusion. And not only 
all beings in this world, but also the idea of God is ultimately an illusion. This is Mayavada. So you may, from this, understand why Vaishnavas are not happy with Mayavada philosophy and Mayavadis. A Mayavadi is one who represents Mayavada. A yogi is one who practices yoga. Or you'll sometimes hear scholars, they'll put an N on the end of uh, the word yogi and they'll say yogin, sannyasin, uh, goswamin. Uh, this is a technical grammatic point. They like to use what's called the stem form of these words, but it's just a detail. Okay, so that's that's Mayavada and Mayavadi, and here we have this little summary in Padma Purana, which is uh, recorded as having been spoken by Shiva himself, Lord Shiva, and it's understood that Shankara, the hi historically known um, commentator on Vedic literature, Shankara, also known as Shankara Acharya, is an, an incarnation, an, an avatar, we can say, of Shiva, and this is his purpose, according to the Padma Purana. We also talked about uh, the uh, idea, Lord Chaitanya said, uh, he made the distinction between mukya vritti and gona vritti. Actually, he only used the word mukya vritti. And uh, the general theme here is interpretation. How does one interpret Vedic literature? And we explained that Vedanta is concerned with interpretation of uh, the Upanishads, Vedanta Sutra, and I didn't mention, maybe I did mention, the third um, scripture which is accepted in Vedanta is Bhagavad Gita. These are called Prasthana Traya, the, 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 and the three foundations of Vedanta, like a tripod, it's very stable. Um, and so how to interpret, how to understand? Mukya Vritti means by direct understanding of words. Take take the, uh, we say in English, denotation, the denotative meaning, the, the, the simple, straightforward meaning of words. Uh, and gona vritti means taking uh, dif, uh, implied meanings or indirect meanings. And basically, Krishnadas tells us that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was saying, if you take the direct meaning of Vedanta Sutra, it's very clear, it's very straightforward, and basically it's teaching uh, about the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and, and this comes uh, as the next verse, uh, text 111, uh, that he is uh, possessive of unlimited auspicious energies. Okay, here's the verse, 111. Brahma Shabde Mukya Arte Kohe Bhagavan Chidaishvarja Paripurna Anurda Shoman 
According to direct understanding, the absolute truth is the supreme personality of Godhead, who has all spiritual opulences. No one can be equal to or greater than him. Okay, now at this point you may say, because you are Vaishnava, we're all aspiring uh, Vaishnavas, we may say, yeah, so what? That's obvious. We know that. <laughs> but this is Lord Chaitanya speaking to um, to impersonalist Advaitavadin sannyasis, for whom this idea would be quite radical. Could be quite radical. Brahma Shabde, <clears throat> uh, by this word Shabda Brahma, Brahma or Brahman. Uh, mukya arte, following the meaning. Arta means meaning, can also mean value. Mukya arta, by the direct, uh, mukya face, by the direct meaning. Kohe uh, says Bhagavan. <laughs> now, this is a little, mm, we might, if, we're, if we were in a skeptical mood, we'd say, wait a minute. Since when does the direct meaning of Brahma since when is it Bhagavan? How do you get from Brahma to Bhagavan? <laughs> the Chaitanya Charitamrita is very much summarizing uh, what is much more elaborated by Jiva Goswami in his Shatsandarbhas. And uh, so Krishna Das doesn't go into it in such detail and we don't really know, we don't have a uh, a video or audio recording of what Lord Chaitanya spoke to uh, the uh, sannyasis in Varanasi. Um, we have the memory, perhaps it was reported by Tapan Mishra, who presumably was present, but um, we may not know exactly what he spoke. We get a summary and we get what Krishnadas takes to be the most essential points again, for the residents of Bengal to understand, uh, for the devotee residents. He's not, this is not a book that was written for Mayavadis. It was written for Vaishnavas. Uh, and that's important to keep in mind. Chit Aishvarya Paripurna. This is also a very um, novel idea because <coughs> According to the Upanishads, Brahman is defined as satyam jnanam anantam brahma. That's it. Satyam, it exists. Jnanam is knowledge. Anantam is limited, unlimited. That's it. <laughs> For the Mayavadis, Brahman does not possess opulences. Brahman simply is. To say that Brahman possesses something, they will say, means you're speaking of two things. Uh, the That which possesses and that which is possessed. And, um, and that doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because um, Brahman is defined as satyam jnanam anantam Brahma, and that means one single entity. Well, 
this needs to be explained for Vedantas. This is exactly the point of the problem. How do you get from the one, with a capital O, the one absolute Brahman, to the multiplicity of the phenomenal world? What's the connection, or is there a connection, or how do we explain uh, getting from one to many? Actually, this is a, a philosophical problem. We kind of don't feel like it's a problem most of the time. We don't lose sleep over it, generally. How do we get from one to the many? But this is a philosophical problem, uh, which was also of great concern uh, in the Middle Ages here in Europe. Philosophers, mainly Christian uh, philosophers, were arguing about this. How do you get from the one to the many? What is the relation of the one and the many? Yeah, nowadays we say, I don't know, but who cares? <laughs> you know, it's, different philosophical issues arise at different times in history. But now Lord Chaitanya is making a certain claim, uh, which is quite uh, having great implications. Chit Aishvarya Paripurna. <clears throat> and that um, this Brahman, which he's defining as Bhagavan, has uh, spiritual potencies. Paripurna is full of spiritual potencies. Okay, well, how do we get from there? Then he says, uh, no one can be equal to or greater than him. Now, this is also relevant for the Mayavadis because the Mayavada idea is ekameva nadvitiya. This is Upanishad's statement. Now, the, the game called Vedanta has certain rules. One of the rules is that uh, the authoritative texts, the Upanishads, must be taken seriously. And they not only need to be taken seriously, but they need to um, be saying one thing. They need to, the philosophy needs to be coherent, consistent. Although there are many Upanishads that say many different things, and how to reconcile everything is the challenge of Vedanta. And so when it says, ekameva nadvitiya, there is one only, there is no second, we get back to this question of interpretation. How do we interpret that? Well, the Mayavadis interpret it quite literally, you could say, mukhyavriti, <laughs> There is only one existent, and that is Brahman, Nadvitiya, there is no second. But there's another way to understand that. And that is, if we take the example of a king and his uh, kingdom, so the king is Ekameva, one only. There are not two kings to a kingdom. Nadvitiya, there is no second king to his kingdom. But if he is understood to be a king, it's to be a king, he needs to have subjects. 
And so it's not that there is no other being, no other entity, but there's simply no other competing entity. <laughs> uh, there is one king only. So that's the Vaishnava understanding. Tahara vibhuti deha shabachit akhar chit vibhuti achari tare kohe nirakhar. Everything about the Supreme Personality of Godhead is spiritual, including his body, opulence, and paraphernalia. Mayavada philosophy, however, covering his spiritual opulence, advocates the theory of impersonalism. Here Prabhupada is translating uh, the word nirakara uh, as impersonalism. The word akara means form. And chit <coughs> akara uh, means, you can say, conscious form. Uh, but Prabhupada translates as spiritual, spiritual form. Now, for the Mayavadi, the idea of spiritual form uh, is what we call an oxymoron. Do you know what an oxymoron is? Yes, contradiction in terms. Complete contradiction. You say, you're saying this and you're saying that. It's Which one is it? Is it this or is it that? Chit, chit uh, means spiritual, uh, transcendent. Akara means form. So the Mayavadi says, hold on. <laughs> it's got to be one or the other. You can't have both. But uh, the, the Vaishnavas say, no. Why? Why you say there cannot be spiritual form? It's your limited vision. It's your um, complete... Uh, it's a presupposition that form can only be material. Why do we have this presupposition? Because it's the only kind of form we're familiar with. It's, we've never seen spiritual form. And so we assume that spiritual means formless. Must be, because uh, everything we experience in this world is, is formful. But no, uh, here it says everything about the supreme, everything about the supreme personality of God is spiritual, including and uh, we have the word deha. Deha means body. Uh, vibhuti uh, means opulence or power, power, spiritual power. Chit mm. vibhuti achadya. Achadiya uh, means covering tarekhohe nirakar. Yeah, the Mayavadis, what do they do? They're co they cover over achadiya, mm, the opulence of the Lord. How do they cover it over? By their denial, by their saying, the Absolute must be uh, without form. That's their, that's their imperfect reasoning. Now, you may remember, those of you who were here yesterday, one of the first things that 
Lord Chaitanya says to them is that human beings have four defects. Anyone remember what the four defects are? Yes, committing mistakes. Sorry? Cheating. Senses are imperfect. And subject to illusion. Yeah. These are disqualifications that uh, that uh, conditioned souls have. And Lord Chaitanya is contrasting our our situation with that of Krishna, uh, Narayana, as uh, the perfect um, presenter uh, of of the Vedic literature, especially the Vedanta. And what's suggested by this verse, what are the Mayavadis doing? They're covering over the spiritual opulence. Why are they doing that? Because they are subjected to these imperfections. And that's again why Lord Chaitanya is saying, uh, read it as it is and you won't fall for that mistake. But there's some complexities here because uh, when Lord Chaitanya says the direct meaning of the word Brahman is Bhagavan, uh, hmm, how far are we going to get with that uh, in, in the, amongst Mayavadis? That may not be so easy. But let's go on. Verse 113. Chidanandate Stana parivar tare kohe prakrita shatterabhikar. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is full of spiritual opulences or potencies. Therefore, his body, name, fame, and entourage are all spiritual. The Mayavadi philosopher, due to ignorance, says that these are all merely transformations of the material mode of goodness. Okay. Prakriti, prakrita sattvair vikar. Vikara means transformation. Prakrita sattva, sattvair, a transformation of uh, the prakrita, the material <coughs> sattva guna. Uh, they go so far as to say, Shankaracharya specifically says, that uh, Ishvara means Narayana, which means the Lord, Lord Vishnu, is, he's at the very top, but he's still within the mode of goodness. He is a transformation of the mode of goodness. Don't try to understand this. If you're kind of looking at, what is he saying? Don't try to understand. You're fine. <laughs> You'll be just fine. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so Chit Ananda Tenhotharastana Parivara, his entourage and his abode, Stana, is all Chit Ananda. Jai Jai. It's all Chit, it's all spiritual. That's what Lord Chaitanya is saying. But now, let's see, is it here? 
Alright. Taradoshanahi teno agyakari dasa aroje shunetara hoi sarvanasa. Shankaracharya, who is an incarnation of Lord Shiva, is faultless. Because he is a servant carrying out the orders of the Lord. Tenho Agyakari Dasa. But those who follow his Mayavadi philosophy are doomed. Sarvanasha. They will lose all their advancement in spiritual knowledge. So that's a kind of a warning uh, to be careful. Uh, I mentioned yesterday, Ravinder Saruprabhu uh, gave this very nice seminar, Defeating Mayavada Philosophy. And he, he mentions uh, in one of the first of his those lectures that uh, he was already with devotees, perhaps he was already initiated, I don't remember, but he was still studying at the university and Prabhupada had told him to continue, to complete his degree. And he was studying... Uh, philosophy, and he was studying Indian philosophy, and that meant studying Mayavada philosophy. And so he asked Srila Prabhupada, Prabhupada, it says, you know, that everything's destroyed if I, if I study uh, Mayavada philosophy. And Prabhupada said, no, in your case, it's all right, you'll be fine. <laughs> because uh, you understand what is the higher, you understand uh, the actual conclusion. Um, within this purport, Srila Prabhupada writes about one uh, famous Advaitavadin, he refers to him as a Mayavadi, from the 16th century. His name is Sadananda Yogindra. Uh, he wrote a book called Vedanta Sara. Sara means essence. So the essence of Vedanta. And this is a book which is uh, commonly used by um, Advaita Vedantins, by followers of Advaita, uh, as a kind of textbook. Uh, they don't so much use Shankara, well they'll refer to Shankara as well, but the problem with Shankaracharya is it's not systematic. It's He, he writes commentarially, which means um, just as Prabhupada writes his commentary to Bhagavad Gita, one verse after another with commentary. So when you write like that, you cannot really develop uh, systematically a particular philosophical thread of thought. Uh, and so they they like to study Sadananda Yogindra's book, Vedanta Sara. And so Prabhupada summarizes uh, what they say, what uh, what the Advaitavanans say. So maybe I read a bit of this. I'll try not to read too fast for translators. Uh, this is in the purport to verse 114. The most prominent Mayavadi scholar, Sadananda Yogendra, has written a book called Vedanta Sara, in which he expounds the philosophy of Shankaracharya <clears throat> and all the followers of Shankara's philosophy attribute great importance to his statements. 
In this Vedanta Sara, Sadananda Yogendra defines Brahman as Sachit Ananda, combined with knowledge and without duality. And he defines ignorance, Jada, as knowledge distinct from that of Sat and Asat. Again, don't try to understand this. <laughs> This is almost inconceivable, but it is a product of the three material qualities. Hmm. All right. Thus, he considers, and this is Sadananda Yogendra, he considers anything other than pure knowledge to be material. The center of ignorance is considered to be sometimes all-pervading, and sometimes individual. Thus, according to his opinion, both the all-pervading Vishnu and the individual living entities are products of ignorance. Don't try to understand that. <laughs> but he's just summarizing. This is, you know, the, the basic idea. Uh, and he goes on in the next paragraph, um, longer paragraph. But I think I won't read that. I'll just continue with Lord Chaitanya. Srila Prabhupada gives very, very useful uh, elaborations and explanations. But let's go on with verse 115. Prakrita Prakrita Korea. Mane Bishnu Kolebar, Bishnu Ninda Aranahi Ihara Upar. One who considers the transcendental body of Lord Vishnu to be made of material nature is the greatest offender at the lotus feet of the Lord. There is no greater blasphemy against the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So here Lord Chaitanya is taking a position. He's not... Um, he's not analyzing in a, any technical way uh, Vedanta philosophy. He's not analyzing particular statements of Upanishads or Vedanta Sutra. He's just making a statement uh, that you want to follow this line of reasoning that is Mayavada. That's a very serious thing. It means... Vishnu Ninda, do you really want to do that? Isharera tatta jena jalita jalan jivera sharupa jaiche spulingera kannu. The Lord is like a great blazing fire, and the living entities are like small sparks of that fire. This is an analogy, and analogies have a very specific function in philosophy. They take us from something familiar, and usually something quite tangible, to something unfamiliar and abstract. 
So we're all very familiar with fire and the various qualities of fire, especially heat and light. And uh, what we're not familiar with is the Lord. And we're not familiar with the relation of the Lord to, uh, to the living entities. Uh, so, what's the example? The Lord is like a great blazing fire and the living entities are like small sparks of that fire. So we have a big fire and we have little sparks. Okay. Simple. So what do we understand from that analogy? Anyone want to suggest? Yes. Yeah, we have the same nature. The same quality. Uh, the same substance, we might say. Though we don't usually think of fire as substance. Yeah. Okay, the next verse. This uh, is going to be developed, this particular analogy is going to be developed, expanded on very much by Jiva Goswami in his Shatsandharvas. Jiva Tattva Shakti Krishna Tattva Shakti Man Gita Vishnu Puranani Tahate Praman The living entities are energies, not the energetic. The energetic is Krishna. This is very vividly described in the Bhagavad Gita, the Vishnu Purana, and other Vedic literatures. Now, a skeptic at this point might immediately blow, blow the whistle and say, hold on, there's a problem here. What's the problem? Anyone, any ideas? Uh, no. I'll read again. The living entities are energies, not the energetic. The energetic is Krishna. This is very vividly described in the Bhagavad Gita, the Vishnu Purana, and other Vedic literatures. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, Puranas. What is this? Pur Who are you talking about Puranas? Sorry, that's out of the game. Remember, the Vedanta game has only three prastana, three foundations, scriptural foundations. What are these three? Hmm? Bhagavad Gita, Upanishads, and... Vedanta Sutra or Brahma Sutra. Yeah. Now he's bringing in Vishnu Purana. Uh, I don't know about this. Well, that's where Jiva Goswami will argue in his Tattva Sandarbha that um, the uh, Puranic literature is also authoritative, but most authoritative among the Puranas is Srimad Bhagavatam, which is also known as the natural natural commentary on Vedanta Sutra. Yeah. Hmm. 
Everything is subject to interpretation. That's the whole game. Vedanta is, a, is an interpretation game, <laughs> if you like. Bhagavad Gita is in the Mahabharata and one might say, well, yeah. And therefore, um, I mentioned three prasthanas. Uh, one is called Shruti prasthana and that's referring to the Upanishads. One is called Smriti prasthana and that is referring to Bhagavad Gita. And the third is called Nyaya prasthana and that's referring to Vedanta Sutra. Yeah, gets a little technical sometimes. Anyway, uh, now there's, there's going to be some quoting from the Vishnu Purana, which is not a problem for the Vaishnavas, but we need to be aware that, you know, for a strictly speaking, uh, strictly speaking, a follower of Shankara, he might, he might uh, object First we get a verse from Bhagavad Gita, Apareyam itasthanyam prakritim vidhi me param jivabhuta mahabahu yayedam dhayate jagat. Besides this inferior energy, O mighty armed Arjuna, there is another superior energy of mine, which comprises the living entities which are exploiting the resources of this material inferior nature. So in this Sanskrit, in this verse, we have prakritim uh, and aparayam, uh, apara iyam, apara iyam, this apara uh, inferior energy. Itaha, from that, other than that, anyam, there is another prakritim. And what is that? <clears throat> it is param. And what does it consist of? Jiva Bhutam, it consists of the jiva. Uh, but the Mayavada, Mayavadi will turn around and say, ah, hold on, Jiva Bhutam, it's in the singular. It's uh, grammatically in the singular case, Sing not singular case, singular number, Jiva Bhutam. <clears throat> it doesn't say Jiva Bhutani, it says Jiva Bhutam. It's only one, huh? Gotcha. <laughs> and so it goes as you said there's uh, different ways uh, the Bhagavad Gita is interpreted and Shankara also wrote a commentary on uh, the Bhagavad Gita but let's um, hold back on that possible interpretation and take it as um, Krishnadas Kaviraj is that we're dealing with uh, the unlimited jivas, the, the countless jivas. And he's saying that uh, this is para-prakriti, <clears throat> uh, this is superior, superior energy. And then we have a verse from Vishnu Purana, Vishnu Shakti Paraprokta Kshetra Gyakya tatapara avidya karma sangyanya tritiya shaktirishate. The potency very powerful prasad. 
the potency of Lord Vishnu is summarized in three categories, namely the spiritual potency, the living entities, and ignorance. The spiritual potency is full of knowledge. The living entities, although belonging to the spiritual potency, are subject to bewilderment. And the third energy, which is full of ignorance, is always visible in fruitive activities. Now, I, I, I want to say that the key word in all of this verse is the word shakti. What does shakti mean? Energy. Yeah, energy or power. And it says Vishnu shakti. Now, Vishnu, it's been established, is Bhagavan. And Bhagavan has been established as the meaning of Brahman. So Brahman is, Bhagavan is Vishnu. And Vishnu, here is the claim, has Shakti, has power. And that is significant because, as I said, uh, the Mayavada says, Brahman, power? No, we don't talk about power in relation to Brahman. That's, uh, we don't, we don't take it like that. Hanajiva tattvalaya likki paratatta achanna korila sheshta ishara mahatta the Mayavada philosophy is so degraded that it has taken the insignificant living entities to be the Lord, the supreme truth, thus covering the glory and supremacy of the absolute truth with monism. So, here Prabhupada translates... Um, does he translate a word? Anyway, Prabhupada uses the word monism. Some will uh, prefer to speak of non-dualism rather than monism. Um, some will say, well, that's no real difference. Um, I had a professor at Oxford who said, there's a big difference. We shouldn't use the word monism. It's non-dualism. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's professors for you. They get very worried about things like that. <laughs> Very nice professor. Right? Uh, well, okay, there's a funny story with him I always like to tell. I've probably told it, maybe you've heard. Uh, a very um, supportive professor, supportive to our project in Oxford, our center there. Um, he made it all possible in so many ways. So as a gesture of gratitude, uh, Shonaka Rishi Prabhu, who's leading that project, gave this professor, uh, Professor Keith Ward, uh, a set of Bhagavatams as a gift. And um, some weeks later, some weeks later, he uh, he he met Shonaka and he said, "Oh, I've I've been reading those, been reading the Bhagavatams. Very interesting. Very. I started, I started in Canto One." And I was reading verse after verse, and I was reading the purports. And then I read in one purport, um, it was said by the commentator, uh, Swami Prabhupada, that one should not jump to the tenth canto. One should 
read the first nine cantos. One should not jump to the tenth canto. Well, I have to admit, when, when I read that one should not jump to the tenth canto, I couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah, anyway. What to do? <laughs> Prabhupada also made that possible. He wrote the Krishna book. So anyone can jump to the tenth canto immediately. <laughs> okay, so uh, what is Mayavada? It is making as 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 one singularity the living entity and uh, the Lord. Uh, and therefore we hear people saying... I am God, you are God, we are all God. You know, this is, uh, it's very, I'm sure you've all met people who say that, and it may well be that some of us have said that in the past, <laughs> before we met devotees. Yes, I am God, why not? Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> Then we become sobered um, by understanding, no, we are servant of God. Therefore we have, we have the qualities of God in minute uh, degree. But we can never claim to be God. That is, that is very degraded. That is what it says here. What is the, what is the, uh, okay, Prabhupada's taking it from the verse before, Hano, such, he says, such degraded, this degradation of, of thought. Okay. Um, now, now we get to a very important point and um, well we'll see maybe I'll stop after this and see if you have any questions Vyasara Sutrete Kohi Parinamavada Vyasabhranta Balitara Uttai Lavibada In his Vedanta Sutra Srila Vyasadeva has described that everything is but a transformation of the energy of the Lord. Shankaracharya, however, has misled the world by commenting that Vyasadeva was mistaken. Thus, he has raised great opposition to theism throughout the entire world. Now, what's going on here? In the Vedanta Sutras, which I mentioned, there are some 550 sutras altogether in the Vedanta Sutra or Brahma Sutras. There is one sutra, uh, and I don't know if Prabhupada quotes it in his purport here. don't think so. Oh, yes, he does. No, that's not it. Yes, no, yes, no. Well, he does refer to uh, Brahma Sutra 2 1. Um, but let, maybe we need to read that together. But let's see. 
In any case, the word parinama is there in in the Brahma Sutra, Vedanta Sutra. Parinama means transformation. Now, here's the thing. According to, let's call it, the rules of Vedanta, Brahman cannot change. Brahman is absolute. And if you say that Brahman changes, that means it's going from one state to another state. And that's two, that's not one. <laughs> and so, uh, the question could arise, how is this world come to be if it's coming from Brahman? And the Vedanta Sutra says, there is Parinama. Parinama means transformation. I thought Brahman can't be transformed. So Shankara's answer to this is essentially, no, 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 it's not, it's not transformation. It's what he calls vivarta. Vivarta means uh, illusion. It means uh, imposition. It means uh, something appears to be something else. And the famous example of this is one you've probably heard, that of the rope, which appears to be a snake. That's and that analogy is given in the Upanishads, and Shankara makes a lot of takes gets a lot of mileage out of it. He likes that. <laughs> he likes that example. Um, <clears throat> so what what uh, Lord Chaitanya is saying here is that Shankara is saying that Vyasa made a mistake. And Lord Chaitanya is saying, that's a no-no. You can't say Vyasa made a mistake. Why? Because Vyasa is Narayana. And he established it already that Narayana is not subject to the four types of human defects. So then, what gives? Well, the Vaishnavas say that when the when the sutra uses the word parinama, what it's referring to is the shakti of the Lord. So we've established that there, Brahman equals Bhagavan, and we've established that Bhagavan equals Vishnu, and we've established that Vishnu has shaktis. And so it's a very simple step then to say what transforms to become the world is the Shakti of Vishnu, which is Bhagavan, which is Brahman. And so the technical term, uh, which uh, we, Gaudiya Vaishnavas, followers of Jiva Goswami use, on this particular issue is Shakti Parinama Vada, the doctrine of the transformation of the energies of the Lord. <laughs> so what this does, you may say kind of like, yeah, so what? Well, what it does is it preserves Brahman as being unchanging and it recognizes the world as being not simply illusion. Mayavada says the world is illusion, doesn't exist. 
So anything you're doing in this world must also be illusion. No. We don't go we don't buy that. Why? Because we say the world is it is real to that extent that Brahman is real. And Brahman is real. <laughs> There's it if Brahman's not real then you know there's nothing to discuss, um, and that's where that's where the Buddhists come in. <laughs> they say, "What is your Brahman? What is this Brahman? What are you talking about? Uh, no such thing." <laughs> uh, they can be more difficult to deal with because they won't even agree to discuss on the basis of Upanishads. Uh, that's that's another subject. Right? Okay. Um, that that's that's giving a yeah preliminary sketch of uh, what's going on in this portion of the chapter. As I said again, it comes up in the uh, chapter six of Madhya Lila with Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, and it comes up again uh, in chapter I think twenty four. 24, 25, the last two chapters of Madhya Lila, uh, which is actually the same uh, event as is being described, summarized here. Okay, maybe uh, I should just ask if anyone has a question about is any of this. Does any of this make any sense? Yes, Yeah. Anirvachaniya. <laughs> Anirvachaniya means cannot be described, cannot be uh, articulated. They say that maya is neither sat nor asat. Well then, what is it? <laughs> Either something exists or it doesn't exist. No, maya is, it's not like that. Huh? No, well, it's illusion, yeah, it's illusion. But the question is, um, where is the locus of this illusion? Who is in illusion? If you say it's, if you say it's the, if they say it's the jiva, then you can say, Hold on, I thought you said the jiva is illusion. So you're talking about a double illusion. A jiva who has, who is in illusion. An illusion which has an illusion. Bling. Doesn't make sense. A double illusion, so that means, what does that mean? And if you say, that Brahman, uh, that Brahman is the locus of the illusion. Eh, that's against the rules. Brahman is satyam ganam anantam brahma. It is satyam. It is existent uh, and ganam and anantam. So that doesn't work either. So where where is this? What is what is it and where is it? 
Maya and avidya, these two terms are used by Shankaracharya somewhat interchangeably. And uh, his kind of last resort defense is it is anirvachaniya. You can't really say what it is, but it is. He says it's it's uh, it's we we need we need to yeah in a sense he says we need to postulate such a thing in order to explain uh, what we all experience you know multiplicity uh, and that's that's this that's the the step that he takes yeah. Ah, uh, it's, yeah, it's not so dangerous when we present it in the very summarized way that we're doing now. But, of course, these discussions of the, uh, of Advaita Vedanta go on and on and on and on, um, literally for centuries. I mean, there was Shankara and then there were people commenting, commenting on Shankara because they saw that there could be some gaps, some problems with what Shankara said. So they tried to fill the gaps. And then along comes uh, come the Vaishnavas, Ramanujacharya, first uh, is the main Vaishnava commentator after Shankara in the uh, 11th, 12th centuries. And then it's not that as a result of his commentary, his uh, his writing, that the Mayavadis fall silent. No, they come again, they come back and say, well, you know, actually what has to be understood is this, and then it gets finer. It can go into incredibly, you know, endlessly fine detail to a point where you're just... Whoa, where am I now? You become yeah lost. Uh, it's fast. It can be quite fascinating. Um, I've read a bit more than just Prabhupada's books on Advaita Vedanta, and you sort of get a sense of how it, it can really be fascinating for the mind and intelligence. It can be attractive, and you you can. You can sort of imagine how someone would uh, go into this vortex, so to say, of, of uh, non-dualism. Now, Ramanujacharya presents what, after Ramanuja, comes to be called Vishishtadvaita. He doesn't give up the idea of Advaita, non-dualism, but he says uh, that it is qualified non-dualism. Within the one, he says, there are two principles. One is chit and the other is achit. Chit are the living beings. Achit is any anything matter, material. Uh, and he, he uses other analogies to illustrate his uh, understanding. He identifies mm, Brahman as the soul of the universe in in which the universe is can be understood as the body of the lord 
Again, it's an analogy. Uh, he says, just as uh, the soul, the self, the Atman, is in the body of the living being, and that body is functioning because of the presence of the soul. Similarly, he says, uh, the universe and the Lord, um, yeah, Brahman, Bhagavan, he equates, of course, can be understood in this way. Um, after Ramanuja came Madhva in the 12th, 13th centuries. And Madhva was not happy with Ramanujacharya's holding on to Advaita. Even Vishishtadvaita wasn't uh, good enough for him. And so he established Dvaitavada, dualism. And uh, the Dvaitavada of Rama, of Madhva is is quite interesting because it's it's radical in a way which is similar in spirit almost to the radical non-dualism of Shankara. <laughs> What's interesting for us in regard to Madhva is that since Baladevidya Bhushana, who is our Gaudiya Vaishnava Vedanta Acharya from the 18th century, um, he identifies us as being uh, descendants of Madhvacharya. This is interesting because uh, much of Madhva's philosophy is rather foreign to us. Uh, it's it's not exactly our philosophy. <laughs> we subscribe to what has come to be called, and I believe it came to be called after Jiva Goswami, uh, Achintya Beda Beda Vada. <clears throat> uh, the inconceivable Achintya Beda difference and Abeda non difference hmm, of the Absolute or. Um, and indeed, uh, in Achintya Beda Beda, there is room for accepting that this world is indeed illusion. <laughs> so we kind of go full circle. Wait a minute, I thought we were just establishing that the world is real. Well, yes, but then if you... If you study some verses in Bhagavatam, are quite emphatic uh, that uh, the world is illusory. And remember, the Vedanta Sutra, uh, the Bhagavatam, is taken by followers of Lord Chaitanya to be uh, the natural commentary on Vedanta Sutra. So, how does all of this work out? Well, for that, you need to attend uh, or listen to, if there are recordings, a very nice seminar from uh, His Grace Radhika Raman Prabhu, who has studied uh, the Shatsandarvas of Jiva Goswami and has written a book, um, The uh, Vaishnava Vedanta of Jiva Goswami. It was his doctoral thesis in which he studied very deeply this subject uh, to see how all of this how all of this works out.
Yeah, it's a big subject, and it's kind of a matter of how far do you want to go. You know, some people spend their whole lives just studying Vedanta, and that's what the uh, Vedantins in Varanasi were doing when Lord Chaitanya met them, and they were complaining, "What are you doing? You're out there, you know, making a spectacle of yourself, chanting, you know, uh, you should be with us studying the Upanishads." And Lord Chaitanya said, I'm sorry, but my guru told me, you know, you can't study Vedanta. You won't understand. Just chant Hare Krishna. So that's what I do, and it's I'm in ecstasy. So that's what we do also. <laughs> we just chant Hare Krishna. That's our main thing. But uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj tells us, uh, I believe it's in the next chapter, says we should not shy away from philosophy. Why? Because it strengthens uh, the brain, it strengthens our intelligence, so that we can resist uh, if someone comes along, and they do come along now and then, and they say uh, foolish things like, you know, I am God, you are God, we are God, we are all, it's all one. Or... Uh, you know, it's all relative. It's whatever you believe, I believe. We all, you know, it's it's uh, that's do your thing. You know, that's your reality. This is my reality. We all have our different realities, um, and uh, so on and so forth. So, these are giving us some strength. I think we need to chant Hare Krishna for two minutes to recover from all of this, don't we? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yes. Is it a good start position? Yeah, it kind of depends um, who you're talking to. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's a good starting point to say, well, Shankara accepts Bhagavad Gita. He comments on it, and let's have a look at what it says in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and you know, men, yeah, it's true. Many might not even be aware that he accepts Bhagavad Gita. And Prabhupada often quotes uh, Shankara as saying, uh, Narayana is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Yes, he says like that. He is um, something Narayana avyakta. <clears throat> he is beyond, uh, I forget the verse, or the sutra, anyway, he says it like that. But, you know, you go a little deeper to see what he understands by Narayana, and you go, ooh. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. And popes? Mm. 
Anirvachaniya. <laughs> God is indescribable. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's usually what people will say about God. Well, yeah, if there is God, he is indescribable. We can't say anything about him. And what they're generally saying, even people who consider themselves to be theists, often if you, you know, push a little bit, you'll find underneath it all there's there's uh, just some impersonalism. So, uh, actually, Krishna consciousness is very radical. You know, we accept that the Lord, there is the Lord, there is his name or names, forms, qualities, pastimes, paraphernalia, every, and all of it is fully spiritual, and any engagement that we have with the Lord in service is fully spiritual. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, it's inconceivable. <laughs> it's a chintya. <laughs> it's a chintya. But uh, by doing, by engaging in service, this is our philosophy is uh, that by engaging in service, we realize, we understand God through service to God. That is called yoga. Yoga means connecting. And the connection is made not by just thinking about uh, God, but serving, simply directly serving. And Prabhupada says, when we chant Hare Krishna, we are directly uh, serving the Lord. We understand we serve through the mercy of our spiritual master, and so on. But uh, still, the name is the Lord, so when we chant Hare Krishna, we are directly connecting with the Lord. If we're directly connecting with the Lord, we are realizing the Lord. Yeah. We chant Hare Krishna. This is the vocative form, Sanskrit um, grammatical is, is vocative, which means you're directly addressing the person that you're uh, speaking the name of. Yeah. All right, I think our time is up, and you've all been doing lots of sitting and listening all this day and yesterday. So, all glories to your listening powers and your patience. <laughs> and uh, yes, thank you all very much. Shri Chaitanya Charitamrita Ki, Srila Prabhupada Ki, Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Ki. Shri Nrsinga Deva Ki Gaur Premanande Hare Krishna Hare Krishna